the history of personal computing. History, history, history. History of Personal Computing. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first episode of the History of Personal Computing podcast. I'm Jeff Salzman, and I'm your host for the show. So please join me in welcoming the show's other half, David Grealish. Hey, Jeff. Hey, how's it going, David? Very good. I'm happy to be here with you. Warm enough for you down there in Hotlanta? <laughs> it's been milder lately, but actually the temperature is rising, hopefully for the, for the end of summer. Oh, yeah, rising. actually it was really hot when I left work today, like 99 degrees. It's crazy. Oh, oh, well, we haven't hit 90 at all up here in Pennsylvania. In fact, that's kind of a record for us, not hitting 90 in August. But at least it's not raining. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> it's camping bad. Trip, the humidity my, and heat. Very bad. My camping trip last weekend rained the whole time, and it's like, oh, okay. Well, at least I'm out in the in the woods, in the wilderness. It's wet, but, you know, I'm out and about and not cooped up at home. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, what's this show all about? What I'm are you glad talking you about? asked. <laughs> I'm glad you asked. We are planning for this show to become your, that's you, the listener, bi-weekly guide in both audio and on the web for the history and development of arguably the single most important technological advancement of the last 40 years. It covers most of the significant machines that we have defined what we think of as personal computers. And next year, 2015, is going to be the 40th anniversary of the release of the Altair, the world's first commercially successful personal computer. So over the next few years, we'll cover the significant examples from each of the personal computing tiers. Tier 1 is desktop computing. Yep, then tier 2 will be portable and then and including uh, laptop computing. Tier 3, handheld devices and smartphones. And finally, uh, gaming consoles, which kind of fall outside. Yep, gaming consoles are sort of a sideline to the main tiers of personal computing because as by design they have not been they have not been general purpose personal computers although these days you know they can get viruses and be hacked <laughs> yeah so the distinction is becoming more blurred as they and arguably all our computing devices as well as the gaming consoles are now becoming uh multimedia platforms they're they're melding into one uh yeah. one one mission for their users and speaking of missions our mission is simple. We want to tell the stories of the development of personal or consumer computing and to make that process very entertaining. There are a number of other podcasts and websites out there that talk about this, and many are excellent in their own ways, but they aren't telling this specific story in this way, our way. We're going to do it our way. <laughs> that sounds like, is there a song? You know, my way, there's my way. Oh, yeah. So this podcast and our website is not meant to become an encyclopedia. It's not trying to be comprehensive in totality. We'll just be covering most of the significant machines which have defined what we think of as personal computers. We want your experience to be similar to that of visiting a museum of personal computing, with each computer topic being like an exhibit. And we're like your tour guides. 
So exhibits and museums usually have a plaque with two or three paragraphs explaining the item and its historical significance. Tour guides. I love that. Do we get uniforms? <laughs> as far as our audience knows. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just we'll Photoshop it in. <laughs> but the uh, museums, that, that's exactly the kind of the, the foundational premise of what we're going to do. It's the stories of the people and events surrounding the artifacts in a museum, which bring them to life in the minds of visitors. Well, this podcast is a work of computer history, but it's also a trip of nostalgia through our consumer computing past. The personal computer is every bit a part of our cultural heritage now as the automobile. So we hope that you'll remember many of the machines presented here. Perhaps you even used a few of them. Let's get started. Let's talk a little bit about uh, ourselves so people have an idea of uh, where we're coming from in, in this uh, podcast series. So, David, why don't you go first? Thanks, Jeff. I guess that's appropriate. So, and I guess somehow I've kind of become maybe the granddaddy of computer history nostalgia. Well, so. you, you certainly have a history of it uh, with, with, with magazines and, and books yeah. Yeah. and uh, earlier podcasts, too. You had some earlier podcasts, right? Yeah. Yeah, and uh, one one big success of mine, I'm happy to say, is still going on without um, without me. Even though I'm a welcomed visitor every so often, so that's the Retro Computing Roundtable, uh, the RCR, which I just recently listened to. They're, so they just did show 81 recently. How about that? Oh, I'd almost applaud them if I had the uh, soundboard with the <laughs> applaud button. Uh, just do a little clap here. So I kind of got into podcasting. I tried it by myself in 2006 or so, and uh, that didn't work out so well. I did. A, two or three shows. I don't remember. I'd have to look now. And then I tried doing it as a video podcast. And I did two that were pretty decent, I think. But ultimately, I just failed as trying to do a podcast by myself. And then ultimately, I came up with the RCR. And then I had like a rotating uh, cast of characters. And then ultimately, me and Earl Evans and uh, Carrington Vanson were like the trio, all-time trio doing it. And that went well for a couple of years. Um, and I know, Jeff, you've, we've talked about the Stan Veet podcast. So I, I started that doing a book. And uh and regretfully, I haven't updated it in a while, though it's not dead. Like, I, I just refuse to ever say, I'm just not ever going to do it. So, especially starting this up, I really hope to get that going again. But, um, so real quick, basically, I started uh, collecting back in about 1993, I guess, officially. So, I was in the Army. I loved computers. My first love was the Macintosh. And really, all this was generated by um, what was my first real computer was my Apple Lisa. And I won't go too much in this because I've written about this. And, uh, and you can read it online, you know, at my website um, for free. It's out of my book, but I have, the, I have that entire article for free online. So, basically, what generated all this for me was my, uh, my Lisa, which ran as a Macintosh. But I was just so enamored with it that I started researching its history and was just intrigued and that became my interest in apple history then personal computer history and just so on the lisa is quite a big step as a first computer yeah well now of course i bought mine in 1989 so it okay. was so it was a lisa 2 that was new old stock that had been refurbished by sun remarketing and it was for all practical purposes like a mac plus and the reason i bought it is because it was cheaper than a mac plus so it was my first mac okay and um you just but it was great. I loved it. Yeah, it's too bad I don't have it anymore. But uh, I've had a few over the years. Well, sometimes if you don't use the older computers, it's it's good to pass it on to somebody. I mean, yeah. it doesn't hurt to make a few bucks on it, but pass it on to somebody who actually can put it to use so capacitors don't dry up and other parts go bad from, from non-use and sitting around. 
and it'll be interesting when we get to like a lot of the computers we're going to talk about when we get to the lisa when we will we'll do some research and, and we'll highlight a few ebay auctions their value actually has been going up fairly significantly over the last year or so i've noticed so. <laughs> now that you sold yours yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah so how about you tell us a little more about yourself oh me well some people may remember me remember me from the vintage volts podcast and i'm still doing that and that's I'm how still... I found out found out about you. Your very first one. I was your first oh, fan. Wow. Yeah. I hope I got a little better <laughs> podcasting. But yeah, thank you for being my first fan. Um, yeah, it was nervous at first, but um, for me, it, the whole vintage tech idea is is a big thing for me. So historically speaking, uh, I like anything that's vintage technology. Mm-hmm. And when I started Vintage Volts, um, I wanted to talk about. You know, personal computers, that was still a high focus in my life because, you know, over the years I've bought things at flea markets and yard sales and um, if anybody's listening overseas, uh, boot sales. Um, and hmm. I can I can keep talking about that stuff, but at the same time I do like vintage electronics. And I didn't want Vintage Volts to become a uh, computer-only podcast. Um, so... Working it like this with the history of personal computing uh, is great. It allows me to talk about that aspect of vintage electronics, but still, you know, yeah. do my but, own thing and, 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 you know, keep my hobbies separate but together. Right. Um, you keep vintage volts even more focused. Yes. On I, things not I'm, personal computing, per se. I tell you, summer was tough to keep that up to date. Um, there's just so much I was doing over the summer because, you know, yeah, <laughs> summer's the summer's the time of the year to go out and do things. Uh, but anyway, um, I think it's fair to say you have a particular interest in old radios, right? Uh, yes, and and I actually grew um, recently. Um, you know, a radio is a radio to me. But then when I actually did more research into radios I used to own when mm-hmm. I was younger, and I was saying, "Hey, I wonder if I can get this." You know, as I think you mentioned, buying my childhood. <laughs> yeah, um, buying back your childhood. Buying back, yeah. So That's I what did. My that. wife says I do. But when you when you go look at auctions and you look at online things, um, pictures on Pinterest, trying to remember what things look like so you can identify it and, and then try to you know hunt one down. Um, I really didn't realize how many varieties and eras of radios there were. So that became a focus for me as you know one aspect of my. Uh, vintage electronics hobby and it gives me stuff to do um, and I have two radios here um, and they, they sound great they look nice mm-hmm. nice piece of antique flair for the house um, but still the you know I am trained in electronics I, I went to high school for electronics I went to uh, tech school for electronics I'm trained in electronics so you know I had that focus there but at the same time I've always enjoyed personal computers since I was younger uh, remembering my first experience with a personal computer was before I even actually touched one is getting the 1977 Radio Shack catalog when they delivered them by mm-hmm. mail every year yeah. and seeing this computer, you know, listed in there. It's like, mom, I want this. And of course the first thing out of her mouth was, am I made of money? But it's only $499 not realizing it's 1977. Um, yeah. You know, we could probably replace the family car with that kind of money. But, you know, you're a kid, you don't know. But I used to go to Radio Shack all the time, and I would spend time 
at Radio Shack playing with the TRS-80 there uh, to the point where store managers would kick me out. Mm-hmm. And I would go there in the first place because, well, my mom was taking a long time to shop and I ran out of the four quarters that I was given to go to the arcade and play some games. Uh, so I had to keep busy somehow. I could get in trouble or I can you know, learn something on a computer. That goes on for a couple years, and I finally get my very first personal computer. Um, out of the blue, my, my, my dad said, we're going to get you a computer. So after the initial squee, um, I, I was taken around to Radio Shack and computer store, other computer stores at the time, like Computerland, looking for a personal computer. And I first saw the Commodore VIC-20 there oh. at uh, Computerland. And I didn't... I didn't uh, know anything about Commodore computers at the time. I heard of the PET, but I haven't had any hands-on or personal experience with the PET or even have seen one. Computerland had the PET. They had the Apple II. Um, Apple II was a little pricey. And so we're down to, is it 19, this is 1981, the uh, Coco 1, or it was just called the Coco at the time, I believe, and the uh, VIC-20. And when I saw what the VIC-20 could do and how you can do full-screen interactive editing because I knew what you had to do with the Radio Shack computers to edit lines. I thought, this would be so much easier, and the price was right, and it had 5K RAM instead of 4K RAM. Well, that was the one I decided to get. So, And, and I've had that ever since. I still have it, uh, and it still wow. works. Um, but ever since that point, that really kept me hooked on personal computing. You, you couldn't get me anywhere or move anywhere where I didn't have to have a personal computer nearby to do things. Hmm. So now I'm, I'm running off on tangents here, but that just shows how focused I am on personal computing in general. It, it's just, you know, very strong. It, the, the force of that is strong with me. <laughs> the force is strong in this one. How old were you then when you got your VIG-20? When I got my VIG-20, I was... Oh, let me get this right. It's been so long ago. 1981, I would have been 15. Okay, we're roughly around the same age, so I'm slightly older than you by, I think, two years, something like that. But, um, yeah, see, I, unfortunately, I didn't get it. I didn't get my own computer until I was a adult. But um, I got to play with a lot of computers starting as a young adult because I worked in computer stores. So I worked in an Apple dealer. That's where I saw the first Lisa. Oh, yeah. I bet you kept busy. Oh, no, I'll stay afterward. But I got to, yeah, and I got to borrow them every so often. But it wasn't, you know, I still, then I even more wanted my own one. But um, I guess we'll, uh, we have our own website. And I guess we'll, of course, we'll put links. We haven't built it yet <laughs> as we record. <laughs> but we're going to, we'll put links to our own sites. And it has more of our history and all that kind of stuff. It should too. be ready as you hear this. Yeah. That's our plan. So what else we got up here? So that's our well, introduction. Uh, let me let me speak a little bit about the, the format and the purpose of the show, uh, or summarize the purpose of the show. Okay. Uh, what we plan to do is create a um, regular, regularly released podcast. Oh, yeah, every two weeks. About, yeah, okay, every two weeks. That's right. We agreed on, upon that. On a Friday. Um, <laughs> on Friday. Sorry. Yeah, I didn't put, I'm blurting this out because we didn't put it in the notes. I thought there I are podcasts it. out there that have regular releases and gosh darn it we can do the same thing too yeah um uh, our show will be about 50 minutes to an hour so time your drive accordingly um (laughs) uh, what we intend to do in every show is cover two personal computers commercially available you know Mm -hmm. whenever they were commercially available uh computer systems mostly going through the tiers as we had mentioned in in 
in chronological order. Um, we'll also add, you know, some filler content to the show in the in the in the form of eBay auctions. That seems to be a, a very popular thing to do. Uh, it also allows you to keep an, uh, you the listener to keep up on, you know, the yeah, value. Values. It's the, not the filler. It's quality content. Okay. <laughs> it's a, you know, as long as nobody is listening to this on a cassette tape and fast forward past it all. Um, and then we'll have a, discussions. We each have our own stories. And we'll also work off of feedback from you, the listener, mm-hmm. and, and work oh, yeah. in some of these stories. So there will be discussions, um, information, ephemera, um, museum quality information, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> but we want you to be able to refer to our shows at any time um, to refresh your knowledge of these systems as we bring them up for discussion. Plus, there may be some surprises. Who knows? We may even have an outtakes reel. Or, David, the, what is it? Let me guess this. Let me see if I can guess this. The oldest, youngest. Oh. oh I got it wrong. Oldest. Uh, bright youngest, young. Bright star young of star of comedy. Yeah. Maybe maybe we'll do something do funny. A skit. <laughs> and you know, I put that one note in there about in time order because because then as I was writing, I was thinking, well, occasionally, who knows? Maybe we'll want to jump around a little bit. We want to keep it fairly logical, but I don't know, right? Well, well, well when we you cover through, everything, when you go through a museum, you usually follow things chronologically. You go into a regular museum, you see dinosaurs, and then it works up to modern man and spaceships. But yeah, nothing nothing says you can't walk by the snack bar. And jump ship, go see the newer stuff, and then go back later on uh, after you need the restroom and then continue on. So, hey, maybe this will work like a, a real museum in that sense. But, you know, the show's going to evolve a little bit as we go. But that's the basic foundational, that's, that's our goal. That's what we're going to do. We're creating a guide to the history of personal computing, which um, I guess it's, this sort of exists in other, some podcasts and other websites, but not exactly what we're trying to do. So... Yeah, there are there are other podcasts that will you know, that do talk about different machines, and and we listen to them ourselves, and we love them. Um, we won't but, mention them. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah. <laughs> oh, maybe we will, but uh, yeah, we'll have to consult our lawyers first, right? <laughs> we won't rest until we run all of them off of iTunes. Oh, okay. <laughs> you ju- you just slammed down the gauntlet, didn't you? Yeah, first show. Can't help it. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Let's write this off. Anyway, uh, when 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 we finally get done paying paying the uh, fines and the lawsuits, we'll be back for show number two. Okay. Um, why don't we get started a little bit in um, some preliminary information? We're not going to talk about um, a first uh, commercially available computer, but we're going to discuss a few points that have occurred. Before that in time, um, moments in like the early 70s, early 60s, we consider the mid-70s a point where commercially available computers were on the market. Um, and I want well, to start if I, out. If I can interject, I guess, so next show, show two, we'll start our normal broadcasting uh, format. And so we'll be covering the Altair and the, and the MSI. And so, oh, we haven't picked already. All right. Oh, well, yeah. Didn't we? Because <laughs> going yeah. <laughs> So that's what yeah. brings us to this this for, uh, beforehand or whatever. Okay, um, I just lost. Yeah, see, I'm, I'm I'm already terrible at this. I lost my point of. There oh. it is. Okay. 
Oh, you're talking about incorrect computing predictions prior. Yes, yes. I have a little little story I read in in an old magazine. Um, And this predates personal computing, but it talks about personal computing. Um, Back in 1969, an author of a popular science article was given the use of a, quote, home computer. Uh, The computer was actually a teletype machine, which was connected via phone lines to a GE-235 central processor mainframe. Home computing for him was dragging the teletype home so it could be used in his den, but he would still have to connect to an external mainframe, so it wasn't fully a home computer. He was just in his den using it. Now, that was a popular way people would do home computing in those days, uh, by accessing a timeshare system using a teletype machine. Um, now the lucky people could either afford their own teletype machine or the cost of the access for that matter to, to the uh, timeshare, or were able to rent or borrow one from the company they worked for. Now I won't go into too many details about what timeshare computing systems are, um, but there was an interesting, interesting remark made by the author of this article. Um, before I quote it directly, when we look back at other people's predictions on technology, and they turn out to be correct in some way, we say they had insight. Don't you agree, David? Did we lose you, David? No, I had to unmute. Oh, I'm sorry. Some family members talking in the background. but Okay. <laughs> um, well, meanwhile, Dave is in our soundproof booth. <laughs> While I read this, I'll just have to send, s- send somebody five or six states away to knock on his door to tell him it's his turn to talk. Makes good um, sense. <laughs> so anyway, uh, what I was saying, David, is when we look back at other people's predictions on technology and they turn out to be correct in some way, we say they had insight. Oh, right. right? Unfortunately, the author of this article kind of missed the mark with his insight. He actually countered a popular public belief to make the following prediction, and I'll read it uh, verbatim. Okay. He said, Time sharing, most experts agree, is the key to the computer's future, at least for general use. A few years ago, when people thought about household computers at all, they thought of some small, inexpensive, individual unit that would keep track of the family checking account and automatically type out the Christmas card blanks. (laughs) Uh, Now, we know it won't be like that at all. He said that. It won't be like that at all. He said, (laughs) to continue, he said, the reason is economic. The bigger and faster the computer, the cheaper it makes it for computation. Yeah. Consequently, it will be far cheaper to build one monster computer with thousands or even millions of customers hooked to it than to have small individual machines in individual homes. Now, let's reflect upon that a bit here. Unquote. Let's reflect upon that. In a way, he was right in the sense that we have the Internet as thousands of uh, computers hooked together into one monster computer system, although it's, you know... Yeah. Um, it's it, you know it's it's all all over the place, but the I other side he, of it is I thought it was funny. He said people thought he, he didn't believe people would be right that we have would have personal computers that would keep track of the checkbook and print out Christmas cards. You know what did we have about a decade or so later? We had small personal computers with print shop. <laughs> but I have some comments about that. That's I think it's, it's kind of interesting in a way. So he was talking about that computing experience in a more traditional sense, not like what the internet or online systems and BBSs became later on. Um, where was I going with this? Is, you know, <laughs> from that time frame pre the microprocessor, in a way he was right. So, well, first the comment I say is, 
in a way, he really did did experience bringing home a teletype machine and interacting with a mainframe computer somewhere else through a modem was almost like having your own computer because you were a single user on that machine. So for all practical purposes, it's almost like that was your it was your interface. Yeah, and what you typed in, in your house, it you was like typed in stuff, and you you would get feedback. Yeah, it was a personal computer. But now in the tech, you know, and it wasn't really a personal computer being your computer doing anything you want with. You're sharing it. But, you know, this is pre, let's say the microprocessor never came to be, maybe it wasn't possible or it never got created or whatever, then that really would have been the future. And it would have been a way much longer amount of time before it got cheap enough for everybody to to do that. Because I have no idea what machine this person was connected to, but 1960s or whatever, time sharing was really expensive. So there's no way your average person could have afforded that only through some big company that, you know, offset the cost for you. Could you do that? That's true, and the article did did say that he was handed this for use for a couple yeah. of weeks to try it out, and you know, I guess if if I was on the cusp of technology and somebody handed me the latest greatest technological advancement or the next stage in technology, like in this case, computing at home, uh-huh. I would probably feel the same way. So no, this is right in front of me. Um, I can I can touch it, I can feel it. So this must be the future. Right. So we'll dismiss what. Everybody else knows, but it's just funny how it kind of flipped, as you said, the invention of the microprocessor, I guess, kind of flipped that, right. that prediction. Because it's on- only through that invention, and we were talking about this a little bit in our show planning and stuff before right now, you know, so we, we went with the term tiers, the tiers of personal computing, which started with the desktop and then it evolved into portables and laptops, and, and but these are all self-contained personal computing devices they're all based on a key thing of a different term generations of computing because your first three generations were all based on like what the those big expensive rare computers were the first the vacuum tubes then the transistor then integrated circuits that makes up the first three but it wasn't until that fourth generation until that microprocessor that's what made what we all know about computing possible so everything we're going to talk about in our show here is based on that fourth generation on the microprocessor. Exactly. And even starting with like, we're going to talk about a couple other sort of pre Altair machines. And uh, well, I guess one of them does use a microprocessor, but the other ones are discrete circuitry. They don't, they don't use that like the Altair does in 1975. And, and then from there on out the MSI and so on. Well, you have a couple that you, uh, you brought up. Yeah, so just to, so, and I'm just going to real quickly go over it. There'll, there'll be, you know, links in the show notes. So there, there are so many we could talk about, but um, we want to talk about two, what I feel like are fairly significant pre-Altair, arguably personal computer kits. Um, they weren't widely available. There's not a lot of them left. Um, so anyway, the first one is the Selby, which stood for the uh, Scientific Electronic Biological <laughs> I guess Selby computer by uh, Selby computer S C E L B I right S C E L yeah and it was founded in 1973 the company by Nat, Nat Wadsworth and Bob Finley and I'm reading from Wikipedia so I'm not gonna go through all of this but let's see it was some sources credit the Selby as being the first advertised personal computer sold in kit form and it was advertised in QST Radio Electronics and later in Byte so around the 1974 time frame so again I'm I'm just looking over the notes here I don't believe it had I don't think it had a microprocessor. I think it was all discrete circuitry. And uh, so if I'm wrong, please write or leave a comment. Let us know. I don't think so. 
Okay, so I'm going to go away from there. And then the other one I was going to mention is a predecessor to the Altair called the Mark 8. And it was sold as a kit. It was based on a microprocessor, the Intel 8008 versus the uh, 8080 that the Altair used. And it was um, brought out in the Radio Electronics issue, uh, July 1974. And um, so read about those. In 1974, that was just before I really got into the electronics hobby myself. Yeah. But they, they did have other computing devices. Their various magazines came out with similar, you know, build your own computer kits, uh, even after the commercial ones started coming on the market. But Yeah, and you had yeah. to, like, source the parts and all that stuff. Exactly. Well, they, like they'd directions. certainly give you their preferred vendors for the parts, or you can buy a whole kit, you know, for an extraordinarily high amount of money, and then you ha- still have to put it together <laughs> and hope it works. Um, with probably very little in the way of um, troubleshooting, you know, capabilities or techniques. But the Mark Eight looks like something that, had I had the money at the time, I would have wanted to buy it and do it myself. Yeah, and there's been some reproduction kits over the years. So there's some floating out there. There's some real ones that some people have uh, restored and they work, and there's reproductions. And um, here's an interesting note just in the Wikipedia article. It says, although not very commercially successful, the Mark 8 prompted the editors of Popular Electronics magazine to consider publishing a similar but much more easily accessible microcomputer project. And just six months later, in January 1975, they went through with their plans announcing the Altair 8800, which we'll talk about next time. That is cool. I, um, believe it or not, I didn't know much about the Mark 8 until this episode, so I'm glad I'm listening. And it was by Jonathan Titus, by the way. <laughs> but look more into it. It's cool. Um, well, the, the do-it-yourself um, computer systems is great when you do have magazine resources to uh, go against and you know maybe even write letters to the editor, because you certainly didn't email that much at the time, um, <laughs> to, to help you build and get the computer working. Um, but there were a few people out there, even before the Mark 8, that um, would try to build their own based off of their own personal knowledge, uh, some of the earlier hardware hackers. And back in 1965, a gentleman named Jim Sutherland from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, built a computer on his own using obsoleted parts he requisitioned from work. He created a computer in his basement, Mm -hmm. and it pretty much took up the whole basement. He called it the Echo 4. I don't know whatever happened to Echo 1, 2, or 3, but <laughs> Echo is an acronym that stands for Electronic Computing Home Operator. And the computer, you know, in 1965, think about it. What, what was society doing in 65? Um, you know, the Beatles weren't even quite popular at the time. Um, this guy's... You know, uh, I've watched Mad Men, so I know exactly what they were doing. Everybody, they were smoking, drinking, <laughs> not being building computers with secretaries in the workplace. Uh, okay, hey, I'll take your word for it. Um, <laughs> That's what everyone was doing. Now, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Now, go ahead. <laughs> for a basement-sized computer, it wasn't as sophisticated as the ones we have today, or what we could shove into a basement today. We have an awful lot of computing power, uh, even 30 years ago. You can get an awful lot of computing power to fit in a basement. Yeah. Uh, but it was one of the largest. The Echo was one of the largest with a similar capacity. Uh, it filled up so much of his basement that he needed extra cooling to manage the heat. So I can only imagine this guy's electric bill. 
why he didn't buy Univac is beyond me, but hey, some people just rather do it themselves. Um, but he mainly used it for what personal computers were, you know, what that one guy predicted wouldn't happen. He used his for that, and this happened before that popular science article I was talking about. Um, he used it mainly for tabulating personal expenditures and taxes, along with managing important dates. Now, I don't think he had much in the way of a printer to print Christmas cards, but uh, he also designed it to be expandable. The Echo was intended to be completely configurable and expandable, because one of his plans was that he wanted the Echo to automatically take inventory of the contents of his kitchen cabinets. Now, that that's actually that's quite forward looking in 1965. Yeah. There's a great picture too. There's a link off that one article we linked to to the IEEE annals of computing or whatever and there's a great picture of him with his family and like a, a box full of kitchen stuff, kitchen, you know, oatmeal and stuff. Yep. It's uh it's remarkable what some people did and, and these are the early pioneers. These these are the people who led up to you know, what we take for granted today. And, you know, I think I just thought of a great new show content idea, though it's not totally new because we want people to write in and uh, record themselves and send that in anyway. But you know what? We can't cover all this stuff. So at any point you want to like email us or record yourself MP3 and send it in and tell us about some other interesting homebrew computer or some other something that we haven't covered, that would be great. Oh, we'll be glad to play that. Because there's so much we're not going to cover, you know, especially all this stuff pre-Altair and any any stories of homebrewed computers and stuff. This is it for the show for the most part right now. Yeah, we. I mean, we want to tell our own stories, but we also would like to be able to tell your stories, you the listener, uh, even using your own words. So, you know, this is an interactive podcast. Well, do we have any more? Or is, no, I guess that's it. Kind of be a short show at first, but that's I don't know. Fine. It looks like it's gonna still be probably around fifty minutes or so. All right, somewhere in there. So we're doing good. But that's okay. about it. Yeah, hopefully we'll build an audience and we'll get some people sending us cool comments and stuff. Yeah, hey, and don't don't stop here, uh, um, or, or don't wait to our next show to start sending the comments. Uh, we'll give you some details later on how you can get a hold of us. But please remember, this podcast is a work of computer history. It's also a trip of nostalgia through our consumer computing past. We want to keep the memories alive and help help both enthusiasts and the general public remember and celebrate the machines we present in the upcoming episodes. Remember, feedback is important to us. As you listen and think back, try and picture where you were, what you were doing, and how any of the remarkable machines we discuss might have influenced or even changed your life. We would like to hear from you about your memories, so please make sure and contact us after the show. Um, you can contact us by going to our website at historyofpersonalcomputing.com, or you can send us emails to feedback at historyofpersonalcomputing.com. And that's it. That's basically the end of this first premiere episode. Oh, yeah. We show us on iTunes whenever that oh, yeah. shows up there. Yeah, hopefully we get that to show up by, you know, before the, next, before the first two or three uh, shows. But our next show will release on Friday, September 19th. Awesome. Awesome.